Hey guys, welcome back to a new edition of They Say I Talk Too Much. Here I am again talking way too much to a refugee who traveled three to four days on foot to seek asylum in a new country to experience a new life, but it gave him some direction where it landed him here in New York to study broadcast and digital journalism. And then we're also talking to the GOAT about the GOAT. Allison Felix, we are talking to a former track star here at Syracuse University, Nia Gibson. It's the dawn of a new podcast and a new edition of They Say I Talk Too Much. Today, I am with Gaius Sculpis Fitzwell. He's from East Africa. He visited the U.S. for the first time this summer and is now a student at Syracuse University. Gaia Scopus Bitswell, how are we today? Very well. It's been a, a pretty good day, uh, although a little getting cooler. And uh, colleagues have been telling me you haven't felt any coldness yet. No, because so it hasn't even snowed yeah. yet. So <laughs> that it'll be your first time ever seeing snow yeah. too, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to that, although at the same time, you know, scared. So first impression, what, what do you believe snow, what does snow mean to you? I don't have any particular meaning apart from uh, the, the whiteness that I've <laughs> seen on screens. It's like and a white, beautiful yes, blanket yes, that yes, is going to yes. overtake New <laughs> exactly. York in a second. Yes, yes. And then, so let's get a little bit, let's talk a little bit about how you got to the U.S. So you were a journalist in East Africa in the South Sudan. Were you ever limited in your coverage during that time? Were there some things that you could not report on? First of all, that's, that's a very good question. When, around, 2000, around 2007, that was almost two years after, you know, we got our peace agreement. And there was now something called South Sudan. So with all these decades of war, our people really know little about the relation between state and the media. So you would go to an office and say, uh, my name is so-and-so and I'm a journalist coming from the Citizen newspaper. He would be like, what? What do you want? <laughs> he didn't want yes, you yes, in, the, yes, in there. Yes, what do you want? Because they are, they are kind of scared of the media. They are. Yes. Is there a particular reason why? Is it just kind it's of that? It's just a perception that uh, the media is is just gonna be gonna be ruthless on them. Yeah. And would you say too there before um, the peace agreement there was no sense of immediate presence? So this presence, this new upcoming presence, really frightened them just because they were so prominent of a presence in that setting. Yes. Uh, there was uh, there was no particular media, and if if there were, and then it was just you know like key leaders speaking to the media, like the late Dr. John Garang, who was the leader of the leader of the of the movement, and and a few key people really, but not like other generals in the battlefield and so forth. They they never had that. So now the peace has come. They have gotten you know like leadership positions in offices where they have to speak to the media. As as as, of, as often as possible, but now when you approach them, they're kind of scared. They they literally don't know what what even to tell the media. They don't have any talking points, no press conferences. It is they're they're shocked. Yes. And so, what did you have to do as a journalist? Did you kind of finagle your way in? Well, at the at the beginning, it was quite difficult because. 
first of all, these are people who do not, at the time, did not know anything about human rights or anything. So they, they, they actually don't know that they are obligated as public servants to speak to me. They have no idea they that that's no a idea part of the like job that. description yes, is, yes, yes. oh my gosh, like I'm yes. a public official. Yes. I actually have to talk have to people. To, yes. They, they, they don't know that. So I bet like so. America's government would be so happy to be there. <laughs> yeah. So, so they will, they will decide. Really, some of them will say, "Well, I, I don't have a, I don't have something to tell you, like like rudely like that." And uh, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot force because at the time we were also young, and we get intimidated with the, you know the pistols around them and so forth. <laughs> so it was all very controlled, basically. Yeah. So if they said no, yes, you had no, no story yes, for yes, that day. Yes, yes, unless you think about something else, you come to your editor and tell them, you know, I. Cannot get that story, which was quite awful at the time. Uh, but I think our editors also do did understand that we were budding journalists at the time, and so those things were bound to happen. But as time went on, they kept t- training us on how to push for, for so stories. So without like the UN or UNICEF, you basically didn't have a media presence before um, the country kind of had that peace agreement. So this is brand new. Journalism is basically just beginning for you. Yes. So journalism was really beginning because um, in Juba there was literally no, there was there was no radio. Uh, there was, um, apart from, uh, there was no n- newspaper. Now there were these newspapers in, in Khartoum. Like Khartoum Monitor was a, a newspaper owned by a veteran journalist called um, Alfred Taban, uh, who died, who died this year actually, just before coming here. Uh, he was uh, a BBC journalist, uh, reporting for BBC from Khartoum. So he had his newspaper called Khartoum Monitor, and that newspaper did a lot of advocacy, a lot of fighting for for the South Sudanese. Um, then uh, the Citizen newspaper, the owner of the Citizen newspaper, worked with. Cartoon monitor of Alfred Taban before, after you know, before he moved and established his own newspaper. So these are prominent South Sudanese journalists who were in Khartoum when the peace agreement came. Uh, Niel Ball, the owner of the Citizen newspaper, started moving to Juba, but the the newspaper was still being printed because, as you know, it was still a country coming up. Those the newsprint were not there. The printing camp. Uh, so they kind of just there. left and said, "Hey, so, take yeah. it over, figure it out." So, yes, so he just moved, established new stuff and everything. But the stories we gather are sent to Khartoum. They are printed there in the morning. They are flown to Juba. They, so they were flown. How yes. often were they flown? Like every day. So you basically would say, okay, this is what we're printing. Yes. They would print it there and then they would fly it yes, back. Yes. So, again, to your question, there was literally no media. There was a one um, radio station called uh, Radio Juba. So Radio Juba was um, a government radio at the time. Yes. That so no media radio. association, yes. just strictly yes. government updates. Absolutely. And, and then did you say there was a television station as well that was kind of similar? Yeah, that television station came as a result of the, of, of the semi-autonomous southern Sudan okay. during the peace agreement period. So they so as the peace agreement came, they had the radio station, they had the television station, but that was it, and there was no media affiliate yes, yes. with that. So 
no one's really reporting on the government, so there was no accountability for them. So it was very controlled, would you say? Yes. So nobody's holding them accountable. And if you were to hold them accountable or call them out on something that was said wrongly or um, was something of falsehood, what would happen? Uh, well, uh, well, accountability issue was a challenge, and even up to now still remains a challenge. Although efforts are being made to make sure people are accountable as well. Now, it was a challenge because, first of all, the media that is supposed to be a watchdog is not there. So now, who holds them accountable? Because even the elect the the citizens, for them to be able to hold public servants accountable, there should be a, a mouthpiece, which should be the media. Now, in this case, the media was not there. So people were still living in the very old way that uh, I... I, I I always used to say uh, they run the thing like 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 a family thing. They don't know that this is a whole country now, and so these institutions have to represent the people. Uh, and and also, I think I think it is the the fa- the fact that my pop- our population were are illiterate about some of these basic, you know global human rights uh, principles makes makes these leaders really not accountable because most of the people don't know anything as long what they wanted is silence the guns let me go to the farm let me you know farm for myself some maize corns some granites i just need that um, they don't know that uh, some of the basic needs are supposed to be provided by this government hospital, education, and so forth. They don't know about that. Besides, as I told you earlier on when we were looking about the topic of education, some of them even didn't know the significance of education. They, they yes. had no... Like, 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 really, no. No information. Like, they uh, had no urge to educate their own people. No. Like, so they just said... Yes, I'm just like, talking about the public. Yeah, so okay. the government said they're not going to... Education doesn't really, it's not a problem or a problem of ours. Okay, let, let me clarify this. Uh, the issue of the accountability comes because our citizens are not literate, you know, like they are not educated, they are not aware of their rights, um, they, they don't know the significance of education, they don't know that that is a basic right, uh, and so forth. So now, if you don't know, how do you even demand? Because if I demand from you um, that provide for us education, I am aware, I am made aware that you are supposed, as a, as a public institution, you are supposed to uh, provide education for us. But I am not aware. That's one. Two, they don't know the significance of education. To be quite honest with you, there are some families that are like 15 of them, none has been to school. None of them. And they don't see anything wrong with that. And neither probably does the government at this point, right? Yes. So it's basically a don't talk about it, doesn't exist, 
but it, it's a need. It's a basic yes, need. It's a basic need. But no one's talking about it because they have no idea how to yeah, ask they, for it. They, 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 they have no idea. And that's where it comes into basic rights, this education mm -hmm. right, this right to ask the government mm -hmm. for help in education, education of women, education of young men, but have that basic education in general, which is not even accessible. Mm, it's not. It's not. Like, um, again, like I was giving you the background to our history. 50 plus years we've been really at war. Uh, Sudan got independence in 1956, and after that there was... Um, there was uh, some period of war, and then there was an agreement in Addis Ababa um, in 1972. Then after that, there was also a period of around 10 years, and then now the war that was led by Dr. John Garan Timabior in 1983. So it's been really like like wars and wars and wars, and that has ruined all this period of education. Now we have fathers, aunties, what name them who have never been to school they have just been in one rural setting eh? so if you're talking about education to them they'll be like what the hell are you talking about eh? <laughs> what is education eh? what is education i mean we've been here for all these years and we're okay we're fine yes we're fine who needs education yes. when you got cattle <laughs> you got ways to learn off the land farming yes. um yeah, who needs who needs education? Go to your backyard, basically. Yes, absolutely. So, so it becomes really difficult to hold public servants accountable, and I think our leaders took advantage of that. They really took advantage of that because our public, even don't know that they are supposed to have education. Well, there, yeah, access is such a viable to the human self. How are you supposed? You're not learning besides what you're being taught in that same village, but then that cuts them off from the outside world, and then your technological growth doesn't exist, your political growth doesn't exist because no one's being educated, yet nobody knows how to ask and give that give and take between the two. And that comes up to my next question because we have all these basic rights that are built into our constitution, like the freedom of speech, the freedom to ask, and there is no freedom of speech, the freedom to ask in East Africa. Um, I wouldn't speak for the entire East Africa, but in my country, it was a struggle, really, like um, uh, this access to information, uh, the freedom to speak and so forth was, was a struggle. It is true that uh, most of the sub-Saharan Africa struggled through the same things, but I think some countries are, are far better off compared to my country. Uh, until 2013, we were operating without a media law. So you can imagine when you operate without a law to guide you, uh, people who have the power might abuse. Uh, you know, they harass you, they intimidate, they so forth. So, and that was really the reason why some of us who were journalists got scared because um, in my journalism class, in my undergraduate, one of my professors was telling me, no story is worth your life. <laughs> yeah, so... So at, at some point, most of uh, the journalists deserted mainstream journalism. I hope you understand. So they, you know, they went to do some work as communications officers somewhere uh, and, and so forth. But like hardcore news gathering and reporting, they left because um, as I speak, 
I lost a couple of colleagues with whom we were together in the field. And for, um, I had, at the time, Moi, uh, Moi was killed, was when I left mainstream journalism. I was working as a communications officer. Uh, so Moi was killed. Uh, we had a very good photojournalist, a renowned photojournalist in the country. Uh, it's called Oliver, who also got killed. And this was because they were reporting on yes. the governmental yes. issues. Yes. government stories. Um, I mean, the biggest provider of uh, news stories is really public servants, <laughs> honestly. Uh, that should be the biggest provider. In a, in a dem democratic country like like U.S., they are biggest providers of um, of. News, news stories. Um, but no stories worth your life. And yeah, so sometimes you, you are forced to leave, or, or what you call self-censorship in the media, uh, where, you know, you, 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 you literally don't report key issues that the public needs to be educated about. You don't report about them, because when you dare go there, you're risking your life. You can be picked in the night, and nobody will trust where, where you are. Like, like Oliver was just picked, and um, people searched for him for close to a month or so. Really? And then his body was found near his village, and he was picked in the city. And you know exactly what happened. Yes. It was kind of this assumption of we know who it is. Yes. Oliver was a photojournalist, as I introduced earlier on, and uh, I, I, I am not very sure what the story was but of course he's um, he's a very outspoken journalist uh, you know who speaks on, on so many things that he thinks are not right some of some of them are the things i just discussed so basically an opinion article or an editorial yes. but an a photo piece could yes. just even even that cost could him, cost your yes, life cost, cost him cost him trouble uh, we've had we've had a couple of journalists who who are arrested, taken inside, you know, tortured, and then after two weeks they are released without any court case. And and that is abused. Because if if in many democratic countries, if there is a case with me, then you should file a court case against me. So that I will have a right for hearing in the court. And that's where we get into slander and libel. Yeah. But you don't even have the, those kind of laws because speech doesn't even exist as, yes. a, as until, a right. Uh, well, until 2013, when there were laws now passed, uh, and, and, and those laws were the Access to Information, the Bab, uh, Access to Information Act, the Media, the, uh, Media Authority Act, and the Access to Inform, uh, I mean the Public Broadcast Act. Now, those were some of the laws that were, that, that were passed. And that somehow tried to change the media landscape. So since 2013, do you still have to self-censor then? Yes. It's Always. Still, it still happens, even if the laws are there. Just like many other African countries. The laws are there, but, you know... They don't really exist. Yeah, like they, they are not very honest into, into implementing the laws. Because the control from the government yeah, is yeah, so hefty. Yes, yes. Because some of these institutions are headed by them. They are... They are the people who had these institutions are nominated or uh, nominated by the president. I should use the name. Nom uh, I should use nomination. They're nominated by the president, and so they're accountable to the president. They're not accountable to the citizen. Um, but if 
if you find a president who who understands some of these principles, then he would he would support in you know you know right implementation of of the laws. So knowing what you know now and self censorship and going back to Africa, would you ever re- would you personally ever report on politics? Yes, um, I will. I will report. Otherwise, what would be the reason of coming here? Uh, because I believe that uh, the media has to open people's eyes, especially in my country. Um, by what by whatsoever means, like I said earlier, on the biggest population in my country. Um, cannot read and write so they don't understand things but that does not mean we can we cannot interpret some of these policies in the local languages that happen there we can still do them so they can understand some of this and there's one language that everybody really speaks in your country even if they do not enter this education aspect and that is sport and so you were able to find a way to connect with your people through reporting on athletics, correct? Yes. Um, I I love sports, especially soccer. I played soccer myself, and 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 so when when looking at hardcore news like political issues and so forth was difficult. Sometimes you oft, you know, for person of journalism, you oft to do journalism in an angle that is not kind of hard, like like reporting on sports. So. Yes, I would report on. I, I I did some reporting on sports, but I was also, you know, hosting sports show, like um, every Saturday, where I would have a panel discussion on on, on sports. Uh, it's a universal language. Anybody can play, really. Anybody can connect to it. Yes. And did you find that to be true when you reported yeah. that more people were tuning into your show rather than? Let me go home and like kind of watch this governmental mm-hmm. um, prowess on the television or on the radio. But then you introduce this tele- your little bit of a telecast and your radio show. People were viewing because they found the way that they could communicate with you, and that was through the object of sport. Yes, um, I want to explain that by an example. Our country was playing the African Cup of Nations qualifiers. And that was during a time when we really had like like huge division following the war that broke out in 2013. And I was I was I was in the stadium and South Sudan scored the first goal. It was amazing to see South Sudanese just they forgot their differences. They, they forgot the broken social fabric because of the 2013 war. You would literally see somebody who came from area A and the other one coming from area B, different tribes completely, you know, running to embrace each other. You didn't know each other, but because of that excitement, they embraced each other. And that that was really the... The universal language of of football that was speaking at the time, and um, the the strength that football can unite people and bring peace among you know warring communities was was demonstrated that day. 
and it was pretty it was really good and i think that gives a reason why uh, i was also putting some energy onto reporting sports so having that emotional connection to it and an emotional connection to your people because at one point you guys were just for a moment you were one and that kind of did that have a ripple effect when you came back to report on let's say you also report on basketball did you see a transition from that moment to be able to continue to report on sports yes uh that was a that was a transition and um that gave me a reason to do a lot more advocacy really in my sports so on on how how the sports needs to be developed even more because clearly that was one way if we have to unite ourselves as as a nation and right now you can see a lot of clubs coming up in the city because of some of these radio sports shows that are happening in town really so this radio show has this great effect that sports yes. scenes are actually yes. coming out. Yes. Okay. It's, it's, it's massive, not only in my radio that I, that I host, but even other radio stations. And uh, uh, most of the young men are trying to put energy to, to see how sports can be used as a unifying tool uh, in the country. So using this as a unifying tool, what do you hope to achieve when you go back? Uh, that's uh, that's a good one. A, a million questions. Like really, a lot of things are going on in my mind. Um, I I cannot be quite precise right now, but definitely I will I will have something. I have always been passionate about education, really, um, and uh, I have always wished that if I get money. I would invest it in education. So that's 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 like the 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 long term thing that I will be looking forward to to do. But the immediate thing is to to go back and you know apply the skills that I get from here. You know, reporting. Uh, I'm I'm also having a lot of classes on sports classes. Uh, I I hope. That this will enhance my my sports classes, my sports skills rather, and see how I can improve sports even further. Uh, we literally don't we don't make use of the digital uh, digital communications. I thought that's another thing that we can you, you know we can improve our sports by going you know digitally uh, in the country. So those are some of the things that I'm really thinking about. How do we have our sports also access, you know, like, like, like digitally, we must have digital f- platforms. Apart from the social media, of course, that's easy to create, but there's need for a, a known sports. Because one thing, one experience I got while I was doing the sports show, it's, it's more difficult to get local sports than getting international sports. Sports here in America, sports in Europe. It's easy. You know why? Because of these digital platforms that they have. A lot of websites. So you can research, you can, you know, study before you go on air for your sports show. So there's almost no background information on any of these teams. On the local, on the local sports, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. 
accept within the city because there's issue of logistics uh, uh, this issue of telecommunications is not as perfect as here so for me to call one district you know uh, for me to get sports stories is, is quite difficult sometimes the network is not clear sometimes uh, you just needed to go there and collect these stories yourself and then you don't have the logistics you have to fly the roads are not good uh, so those those were some of the challenges so you find most of the time we are we we are restricted to reporting about stories within the city because then you can you can pick you can pick any public means to one of the f clubs have one on one talk with somebody there could be pre-recorded program or just q and a Q &A and then you come and 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 talk about whatever you got from there well scopez is there anything else you'd like to add coming from africa uh, i think i'm 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 really pleased and honored to have this opportunity to come and study in Newhouse. Um, it's a very, very good school. Um, I was I was I was interacting with one of my colleagues, with whom uh, he comes from Africa as well, and I was telling him how I wish this new house. I came across it when I was still young, 22 years old, when I was joining university. Don't we all, now that we're all <laughs> master students. <laughs> yes, because it's really a very good school with all the facilities you need to learn. No, there is no, I, I joked with him that there's no situation where you can say, Professor, um, well, my story, I could not submit my story because there's no camera. <laughs> all the cameras are there. So, so Everybody yes. has a camera. Yes, everybody, everybody has access. Absolutely. This is 360 with Alyssa Lyons, the queen of the jungle. And they say, I talk too much. And we are sitting with Scopus today, our guest. So for three minutes, we are going to rapid fire some questions all about America and his experience in this country so far. Are you ready? Very ready. Okay. Give me one second. We're going to start this clock and we'll be on our way. So favorite food. I haven't gotten any favorite food except lately uh, Burger King. <laughs> Burger King, what you would you get? Turkey. Uh, you got uh, a turkey yeah. from Burger King, not a, not the super one. <laughs> yes, that big one. Turkey and a bread, and then um, cheese. I think they put cheese in it. Is it they cheese? do put cheese I, on. I, I really don't know what it is, but I like the taste. Have you had pizza yet? Yes, I've had uh, pizza. Well, we just bought it, I think, from one of the stores and then added it in the house. Oh, there you yeah. go. Okay. <laughs> What's the biggest difference so far? The biggest difference is time. Time? Time difference. So what time would it be in your country right now? In my country right now, it's about 10 minutes to 6 a.m. in the morning. And it's almost 11 o'clock here? Yes. Basically, switched hemispheres. Yes. So your people are just waking up. Have you been to the mall? I've been to the mall, Yes. I hope you refer to, to the stores. Different. Yep, Destiny. Yes, is it yes, different? I've been to Destiny, USA, and uh, it's quite a beautiful place uh, with, with a lot of things. I've been to Walmart. I've been to... Wait, hold on. You took a trip to Walmart, the yeah. Wally World of the World. Yeah. How was it? Walmart was good. Uh, I, thought, I thought they have almost all the, the things you need there. And uh, in terms of prices, I think they're okay. But to be general, to be honest, I find uh, things are not 
as, are not as cheap as, as I had anticipated. Even though I was told before leaving my office, uh, as I was planning to come here, uh, somebody who also studied here, not particularly in Syracuse, but he told me New York is expensive. So <laughs> be, be aware of that. And then you said about like the currency, the taxes, was that a big shock to you? Yes, it was, by the way. I, I realized when I first came, I, I was struggling. I would see the things in the store are written, for example, $30, $15. But when it comes to payment, then I'm told the money is more than that. <laughs> and I was afraid of asking why. Why is it more than that? But I took my time to you know, find out and realize that it was taxes. It was taxes because when you get that lucky little extra bit of money on top of what we already owe. The biggest shock just with people here, what was was the first culture shock that you experienced? People here, I I hope people here don't take offense. People here are more, more, more like individualistic because you find everybody's busy here. Like, like they don't have time for you, even if you're speaking. <laughs> they, they just they just respond to you in a rush. Because, They're fast. Yes, because for me, if if I want to talk to you, you need to give me an ear. Okay. Yeah. Yes, you need to give me an ear. You need to show concern. Why does he want to speak to me? <laughs> <laughs> why does he want to speak to me? Uh, unfortunately. I did not see that. You see, everybody is just blocking their ears. They're blocking their ears. <laughs> With the headphones, huge headphones. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me, there was this this, uh, this this lady who dropped her lighter. Oh. Yes, the lighter fell, and she didn't notice. And uh, I tried to call her to tell her that, hey, your lighter just fell, pick it. And she could not hear. Oh, because, no. <laughs> because I, I found out she blocked her ears. <laughs> And then I quickly rushed and picked the lighter. I had to literally run after, after <laughs> her. And uh, she was kind of scared when she saw me closer. And I said, sorry, uh, I didn't mean to scare you. you. Your lighter fell down. And I tried to call you. but you. And she said, oh, sorry, I, I was not listening. I blocked my ears. I almost asked her, why do you block your ears? <laughs> why do you block your ears? <laughs> yes. So that's, that's, that's really a big culture uh, culture shocked that I experienced here. Yeah. And when you got here first in June, um, June, July, what was, when nobody was on campus mm. compared to now, what was the other big shock for you? The other big shock is really how developed the place is. Yes. I, honestly, uh, I remember the first assignment, uh, the first of assignment we had was, you know, literally meant for us to learn the place. And um, it was called Scavenger Hunt. And I did tell colleagues with me in class, I, I, told, I told them, I'm really proud of your forefathers. They work hard to have a beautiful country like this. So that was really a cultural shock for me because I come from a place that have no power, no electricity. No electricity, yes, the, nothing. The, yes, the place is run with generators. Really? Uh, yes. So the no power lines was yes, that a, yes. that was another no like power line were completely. you like what are these things up in the sky yes. when you got here? And um, oh, of course, I've I've seen power in Uganda. Uganda have power. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so so I was not I was not very much like surprised. But as comparing it to my country, I was hoping all this is in my country, because 
there was no day that the power has gone off. In Uganda, that Uganda that I grew in has power, electricity, like like electricity generated. Yeah. But there are times that they have lost setting. Like there are times the power goes off for 30 minutes and then it comes back sometimes one hour, sometimes a whole day. No power. But here, up to now, I've never seen... <laughs> You've never run out of power a, a here. Mo- a moment that the power's gone off. Well, you... And then you have internet here. Like, all everywhere. Like, like everywhere. And I'm like, what? You have to have it with yes, your phones yes, now, yes, so yes. anywhere you go. I could have internet in my phone. Cricket is providing internet. In <laughs> my house, cricket. there is also internet. And then in new house, there is internet. So there's no... There's no excuse you're going to give to somebody that I don't have internet. Is that a, is that a viable excuse in Uganda? You say like, oh, yeah, like, like in my country, really, it is. Uh, uh, maybe some of our some uh, some of our managers that we report to in New York, in the organizations that we are working to, would be like, why is this report not coming? And sometimes it's not really excuse. It's, it's the truth. I'm proud of this country. Uh, there, there, I. I I hear the Americans complain sometimes, and I'm like, you really don't know what you're complaining about. Exactly. Yes, yes. We are very lucky. Yes, yes. You really don't know what you're complaining about. Well, thank you, Scopus. That is all the time that we have today. (laughs) And that is... Guya Scopus Betuel. And this is... And this is journalism. Well, thank you so much. This is the Queen of the Jungle. That's Scopus Betswell, and you are listening to They Say I Talk Too Much. Thank you. Hey guys, Alyssa Lyons, Nia Gibson here, and we are talking about Allison Felix, absolute superstar. She is a special breed. Yes, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, Alyssa. How are you? Good, good. How are you today? I can't wait to get into just start talking about Allison Felix, absolute superstar. She is a special athlete, as you call her. She is a special athlete. Allison Felix is a complete stud. Um, from day one when she was recognized from high school being Gatorade Athlete of the Year to now making her 13th um, world championship team for the United States. Not, like, she has a pretty extensive resume. She does, and she's about to add another one. She actually just did last week. Now she's about to add another one to Tokyo. Mm -hmm. What an incredible career she's had. And she started off... And as a signed athlete with Adidas before, when she was 16 years old. Yeah. So she's really had this extensive career since for almost half of her lifetime. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, she's always been somebody. I know in high school she ran 22 point. And from any standpoint of someone looking to sign a young athlete, she's that rare gem. And Adidas was able to give her the contract that she wanted to give her everything she wanted and needed. They picked up her tuition. And also, you know, you could be a college student, get your studies in, but also travel the world and be a professional athlete and be the athlete that we all see you can be and that you know you can't be. And she has done nothing less of that. She really has it. And she just picked up another world championship, now breaking Usain Bolt's record. But she did it after she became a mother. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't an easy journey for her. She was already working out prior to. And then after she had the baby, she basically couldn't walk, right? Yeah. Um, Power walking was an issue for her. So I know this one has to be special. Ten months after giving birth to baby Cameron, you are on a world record-breaking historic mixed relay team for the 4x4. So it was just a historic night altogether. You broke a world record. It was the first time there was ever a mixed relay, meaning that there was two men and two women running a 4x4 against other countries. So it was it was something special. It's definitely something special. This has to be one that goes up there if not if it's not at the top because you're doing this all as a mother when really and truly on paper if if this makes sense in everyone's brain, you sh- you shouldn't be here. No, not <laughs> at all. She's thirty two years old, mm-hmm. and she just had a kid. It takes your body eight weeks to recover after you even had a kid. So how the heck does this even happen? Yeah, that's the question everyone's trying to think. I'm sure it's like eight weeks for a healthy pregnancy. It was a very problematic and complicated pregnancy. Um, the baby was premature. She was in the NICU. Um, she had to get an emergency C-section. It was a lot on your body. It's a lot on anyone's body. And, it like, mentally, too. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not an easy sport track. It's a mental sport. Very, very mental. Um, it's an individual sport. Like I was telling you earlier, Alyssa, it's, it takes a lot of grit to compete in this sport. It takes a lot of mental toughness to compete in this sport. Um it doesn't get as recognized as it should, but on top of that, it's an individual sport. So imagine you're running a 400 meter, you cramp up. You can't be like, yo, coach, take me out. I'll be back, give me some water or something. I'll be good in a few. No, your race is just over. That's it, because it's just you when that gun goes off, and it'll be just you until you cross that finish line. And I couldn't even imagine, because, too, she started off. Um, did she start running off cross-country? I mean, she was a sprinter. Correct. Yeah, I don't believe she ever ran um, cross country. She was just an all around sprinter, which makes her. I know that that's it's special. Every event is different. Yes, the one, the two, the four, they're all sprints. They're classified as sprints, but every event is different. You have to run in a different way. You have to have a different strategy because each one works a different muscle group. Um, and I mean, including your brain, you have to think about these differently. You cannot run the one hundred the same way you can run the four hundred. So for you to be able to run the one through the four at that level and be a world-class sprinter at that level for so many years, like she's nothing lower than special. She's not your ordinary athlete. And you've been a runner since you were nine years old, and yeah. <laughs> you also have an extensive resume yourself. You ran for Syracuse. Mm-hmm. What do you think she had to do to come back from, obviously, that C-section? And then two months ago, we saw her get the 4 by 4 and then now she's breaking another record, what kind of preparation do you think it was like for her? 
I couldn't even imagine the type of days and hours she had to put in. I was actually reading up on this article about her from the New York Times, and she was saying she would be running back and forth from the hospital because she was thinking maybe I can get some a few sets in at the gym. It's a different beast out there um, when you're a mom now because at, at this point, if you're a mother, you no longer live for yourself. No. Everything you say, everything you do, it will affect your child. So you can't just go up and be like, oh, I didn't get my run in today. Let me just do that. No. You have to make sure, is Cameron fed? Is Cameron comfortable? Has Cameron got her nap? Does Cameron have everything she needs before you can go and do you? Is, is someone there to watch Cameron? And a few times she has to bring her to the track. And she said being a mother is a rewarding experience. Um, so mentally, she's there. But I know it's been mentally tough because I know she's been thinking, like, can I do this? You know, is this possible? Um, so it's a lot. It's hard. And she's a phenomenal athlete to even be at this world-class level doing what she's doing at such a short time after she had the baby. And I don't know what it is, but I think in past years, maybe the media has kicked up this year, but she is just putting a showstopper on social media. She's somebody that she's already a household name, but for some reason this year, it seems that's all anybody can talk about is Alice and Felix and what will she do next? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because I think aside from her running, she wants to make sure people who are signed by Nike are protected, in particular um, women. As a woman, you um, have, like, you're expected to maybe start a family. Um, but Alice Felix was not protected by Nike. Um, she gave birth, or she was pregnant around the time it was time to, like, re-sign her. And they wanted to pay her 70% less than what they've been paying her because I guess for them it's a business first. And if she gives birth, they're thinking she's not going to be the same Allison that we signed a few years ago. She's not going to be that caliber athlete. So why should we pay her that amount? Which is so, so wrong. You can't expect them to put their life aside for the sport. 70%. That... That's a huge pay cut. That's a, quite a chunk, yeah. It is. It's not a little bit. It's a lot. And mm-hmm. there's this conversation in soccer as well, but I think the whole 70% and having that as a factor, that's going to affect your life so much more so, I think. I, we can put a dollar. You can't put a dollar amount to anybody's life, but now she has a family. Mm-hmm. She's a little bit older. Her body's kind of changing. She's heading into Tokyo She's obviously already putting in those hours. What can we expect from her after Tokyo? I think you... So Allison Felix will continue to be a phenomenal athlete, but you can definitely expect a different type of Allison. She's always been this amazing all-around sprinter. But as you get older, your speed doesn't go up, but your strength does. I think she was going to be a force to be reckoned with in the 400. I think she will become a 400 specialist. I think with Tokyo... Um, she'll make U.S. Nationals, I mean, she'll make it from U.S. Nationals to Tokyo to make that U.S. team. And I think she'll do more than do that relay. She'll make it individually, and I think she could potentially medal um, in the finals in the 400 meters in Tokyo next summer. Why is the 400 such a particular event for her? Why is that something that you can definitely put your finger to? That's something that she's probably focusing on right now. Yeah, she has. she just has the complete package and she kind of grew into a 400-meter runner. Um, she we used to be a 200-meter specialist. She was like the 200-meter princess, 200-meter um, beast. Um, but as she got older, 
her strength became something crazy. And she's always been a little speedy. Um, she's been a speedy Gonzalez since day one. So that speed matched with that strength. She could run a crazy 400. And she's proven that. Um, she ran 50 point on the mixed relay um, in world championships that just passed. She ran 49. She split 49 in the semis, not even the finals. She did. She wasn't on the final team. But for the semis for the women's 4x4 four four to get them to the finals, she split 49. That's special. That's not regular. And then I'm going to emphasize, emphasize this again. Ten months after giving birth. A crazy <laughs> time. And she's dropped already a second, right? Is that correct? Yeah, she dropped about a second from... Which is not easy to do. Not easy. <laughs> not easy a at all. A whole second in running. I, I'm i lucky if I even drop a minute when I run a mile <laughs> every month. <laughs> Once a month. Yeah. But a second? She dropped a whole second two months after qualifying for the 4 by 4 team to go to Doha. And she just a showstopper there. I think it mm-hmm. made it on Twitter, and I think it got retweeted so many times that everybody was talking about it because just this idea of giving birth and then having all these complications, knowing that 10 months ago you couldn't walk and now you're back on the track and you're a winner again, what an unbelievable moment. It has to be a crazy feeling because also, like, just take her, take it back and try to step into her shoes. Obviously, no one can know exactly how she's feeling, but imagine you just gave birth. It was a complicated pregnancy. You can't take your baby home. And now on top of that, your job, which promised you so much initially, they're totally going back on stuff that they've been saying. You feel like nobody's on your side. You're thinking to yourself, damn, can I do this? I can't go to the gym because I have to stay here in the NICU. I can't. And then once again, you're thinking again, I can't bring my baby home. Um, it has to be a crippling feeling, not only physically, but mentally. And for her to overcome that and be where she is right now, amazing, amazing, amazing. And that's why I call her phenomenal because physically she's a beast, but mentally she's even more amazing you have to be i mean in running such a mental sport because i know a lot of people won't do running because they their heads can't wrap it around the fact that they're focused (laughs) on one thing but you're able to do it it's such a mental game allison's able to do it and then come home with all these extra awards Mm -hmm. it's it's got to be something that's trying on your mind at all times to be so strong but now have that extra factor of having this child and still being a world champion, putting up those marks, yeah. beating Usain Bolt's record for most world championships. Yeah. What a crazy feeling for her. Yeah, it has to be a crazy feeling because um, Usain Bolt, that's a different animal right there. Totally different. <laughs> I remember seeing videos of him just running barefoot because that's just the way he was so mm-hmm. comfortable with and then breaking those records. But I, I had no idea personally that Allison Felix was creeping up on his record. And then when I found out that she just totally shattered it. It's crazy. Yeah, to beat someone who... So, I think for those of you who don't know, Usain Bolt, fastest man on the planet. He ran 9.58 in the 100, 19.19 in the 200. Things that you really, like, can't really wrap your mind around. Um, I'm pretty sure, like they said, with his 100-meter time, it was the equivalent of a car going, like, 30 miles per hour. Wow. And, um... <laughs> Wow. Imagine going that fast. That's like more than some of the streets of Syracuse speed limit. Yeah. You're running over the speed limit. You get a (laughs) ticket for running. Um, (laughs) I'm sure they would give it to you anyway because they always do anyway. Hey, man, you know. Um, (laughs) But to beat his record for the amount of world championship medals, she now has, um, I want to say like 17, 17. And, oh, my gosh, 
Like, is that even real? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, you say that number, you're like, 17 world championships. And then you're like, damn, then how much did she have altogether with Olympics and everything else considered? Mm-hmm. Um, she's one of the most decorated athletes in history. Put her on a pedestal right next to Usain. Mm-hmm. Because she deserves it. She deserves that recognition. And we, when world championships and the Olympics come around, we always talk about who has the most medals. Mm-hmm. Track is obviously one. Swimming's another. Mm-hmm. But for her to come up as a woman in this industry and get that recognition, I think, is so important. Yeah, and I think that's why everyone was so in awe when they found out about this thing with Nike because let's say in a, another world that Allison Felix wasn't doing the things she was doing and she actually did go on the decline that Nike expected her to go on to. You would think that with all that she has done, that would be at least enough for them to be like, at the very least, let's protect her and her rights as a woman. Um, yes, she's a woman, so she will have a childbearing ability. Why would you discriminate against that, considering everything she has done for you since at such a young age? I know she signed with Adidas when she was about 18, but she quickly signed with you guys a few years, a few years after when her contract was up and has done nothing but be successful. She has never been in any um, trouble. You've never seen her in the spotlight with anything else. She's always been a class act with everything. She has done nothing but represent your company in this light, and you continue to discriminate against her because she had a baby after she's won the Olympics, won world championships, has done things that no other women has done, um, and has nothing but be a good face for your franchise. I it's it's hard to like it's mind wrap your head around. And we had the same conversation a little bit on our last podcast that Serena Williams, she had her child and. Um, they kind of questioned her ability to come back. Mm-hmm. And yet she's showing up at the U.S. Open. She's showing up at Wimbledon. Yep, in the final for both. Exactly. And so I think they're proving them wrong left and right. A woman can have a child and still be that A-plus athlete, mm-hmm. world champion athlete like Allison Felix. But I even think even for women moving forward, even so what if they're not that same athlete? Exactly. So what? Look at what they have done, but also consider what happens to your body after giving up after giving birth. Not saying that certain things are impossible, but it's something that something that's not even considered, and it speaks volumes to the lack of diversity that are on these boards. Because if a woman was on that board, um, considering certain contracts, I'm pretty sure some conversations would go different ways. Or not even just a woman, multiple women, people, but not just women standing there to look pretty, but women in um, positions of control and power. And that have been through that same thing before, an athlete knowing that going from an athlete and then being a mother second and then being that mother first Mm -hmm. and being an athlete second, having that transition has to be, and it has to be something on the brain. It has to weigh mentally. And I think those are the people that are able to give that opinion. And I think we'll start to see that maybe. Hopefully that's our dream. Mm -hmm. But for right now, Allison Felix is absolutely a showstopper, a class act. Absolutely a class act. And until those men walk around pregnant for nine months and give birth, I don't think they'll ever (laughs) understand us, which is why you just need to have women on the board. You need to have women on the board. That's it. That's all we have for today. Nia Gibson, everybody, a track runner, track superstar, Allison Felix, and an amazing class act. And we are not done hearing from her yet. Nia, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me.
And off we go. Thank you so much for tuning in. Next week, we'll do something a little bit different. It's called The Predator. We're sitting down with Alex Peebles. He sat down with two law enforcers here in Syracuse to talk about a mystery about a woman who has not been found. That and more coming up next week on They Say I Talk Too Much. Hey, she she gonna gonna say say